Contra is friction. Contra is Contra is nuanced. Contra, Contra is, is transgressive. Good trouble. Contra, Contra is, is collaborative. Contra is a podcast. Is a space for thinking about design critically. Contra is subversive. Contra is texture. Welcome to Contra, the podcast about disability, design justice, and the life world. This show is about the politics of accessible and critical design, broadly conceived, and how accessibility can be more than just functional or assistive. It can also be conceptual, artful, and world-changing. I'm your host, Amy Hamrai. I'm a professor at Vanderbilt University, a designer and design researcher, and the director of the Critical Design Lab, a multi-institution collaborative focused on disability, technology, and critical theory. Members of the lab collaborate on a number of projects focused on hacking ableism, speaking back to inaccessible public infrastructures, and redesigning the methods of participatory design, all using a disability culture framework. This podcast provides a window into the kinds of discussions that we have within the lab, as well as the conversations that we're hoping to put into motion. So in coming episodes, you'll also hear from myself and the other designers and researchers in the lab, and we encourage you to get in touch with us via our website, www.mapping-access.com, or on Twitter at CriticalDesignL. In episode six, we begin a two-part series on critical design and accessibility within or adjacent to academia. In this first episode, we speak to Kathy Hannabach, host of the Imagine Otherwise podcast, about how design considerations, particularly regarding accessibility, come into play with the creation of podcasts. This conversation also takes us to broader themes of representation and voice, norms within the podcasting field, and how podcasting can build on academic work while also allowing new conversations. Here's Kathy. This is Amy Hamrai. I'm here today to talk to Kathy Hannabach, CEO of Ideas on Fire and host of the Imagine Otherwise podcast. Kathy is a PhD in cultural studies from UC Davis and an independent scholar and author of two books, which are Blood Cultures, Medicine, Media, and Militarisms that came out in 2015 and Book Marketing for Academics, which came out in 2016. I met with Kathy through the Cultural Studies Association Conference this year, where she organized some really great author meets critics panels with Sammy Schalk, who's the author of Body Minds Reimagined, Heath Fogg Davis, the author of Beyond Trans, and myself. And at the conference, she did this really interesting thing, which was that she recorded our sessions for her podcast, Imagining Otherwise, which she then published along with materials such as transcripts, bullet points of key ideas, and links for further reading. And so while participating in this process with Kathy, I was really struck with all the ways she was thinking about accessibility and also about how creatively and persuasively she has designed ways of participating in and relating to academia that go far beyond our typical modes of production, which in our case is usually writing. So welcome, Kathy. Thanks for having me. 
Um, I thought to start, we could just briefly tell our listeners a little bit about Ideas on Fire and how it came to be and how the Imagine Otherwise podcast is part of that. Sure. So I started Ideas on Fire when I was in graduate school, actually. I did not think of it in the in terms of what it has become at all. I thought of it as the side project that wasn't going to be my career or anything, um, but that would just as, was a chance for me to work with authors on projects. And so, um, and I can talk a little bit about the trajectory of that since then, since it's changed, changed quite a bit, but Ideas on Fire is an academic editing and consulting agency, and we work specifically with progressive interdisciplinary academics to help them write and publish amazing texts, um, enliven public conversations, get involved in public scholarship and get their critical voices out there, and ultimately to create more just worlds. And so a lot of what we do is editing and indexing work on scholarly books and other kinds of manuscripts, journal articles and the like. Um, But we also do a lot of cultural production in the form of the podcast, which I know we're gonna talk a little bit more um, about extensively. As well as we have an, we have a blog that's quite extensive. Um, we also do regular webinars, and I'm always kind of interested in, and our team is interested in how academic ideas alone aren't enough, but thinking instead about how those ideas connect with different communities and how to make them tools that people and individuals, communities, groups can take up and put to work in specific ways. That's so interesting. Um, Something that really strikes me about this is that there are many, of course, like academic editing businesses and also um, services that are kind of geared more towards academic productivity and things like that. But yours is actually very politicized. And um, and I'm, I'm so interested in all the kind of material parts of that and maybe and how you conceived of that kind of whole assemblage of things. Um, and so I'm wondering, do you consider yourself to be a designer? Not until you ask that question. <laughs> Um, I don't come from the discipline of design. Um, I've never been employed as a designer or I've never studied design in the traditional sense. So in that sense, I'd have to say definitely not. Um, But a lot of my day-to-day work does involve design practices in a variety of ways. And it's actually something that I've really enjoyed moving from academia into my work with Ideas on Fire is I got to do a lot more of that. So whether that's graphic design, whether that's website design and development, whether that's audio design with the podcast. Um, I do a lot of that on a daily basis, much more than I did when I was within academia, and it's been really exciting. So while I would probably not identify as a designer, because I think actual designers would get mad at me for claiming that, um, I do do a lot of design in various ways through my work. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Something we've been talking about a lot in the Critical Design Lab is all of the ways that academic work is designed but isn't acknowledged that in that in those terms. So um, even just, you know, designing syllabi, designing classrooms. Someone threw out this idea the other day that syllabi are like mixtapes. And um, and Kevin Gotkin, who's in the Critical Design Lab, is doing all this social justice and accessible DJing practice. So we were thinking about, you know, actually, we're doing this all the time. It's just not um, formalized. And so we're not always thinking about kind of applying theories of design to it and what would happen if we did. Um, and so in the context of what you've been doing, I'm really interested in the podcast and kind of how 
it's very multimodal. And when um, when you were working on producing the episode that I was on, you had all these materials that you sent kind of like on the front end and when it was finished. And so I wonder if you could just walk us through that a little bit, thinking about um, there's this idea in design theory of critical design. So design that makes us think differently about something. Um, what is a kind of, if there is a regular or typical podcast, what is that like? And how is what you're doing kind of uh doing something different and, you know, thematically linked to the content of the podcast. We've done, I think, three miniseries at this point um, over the course of two years. Um, And so in that sense, you've got a slightly different experience than than, um, episodes that are produced outside of the miniseries uh, mode. But traditionally, our workflow for for each podcast episode is our team does a lot of research on potential guests. So we're looking for... it's. Imagine Otherwise is a podcast that highlights people and projects that bridge art, activism, and academia in the service of social justice. So that alone gives us a super sharp focus. There are many, many fantastically smart academics, but they don't necessarily have an art focus in any way, or they don't do kind of creative production work in any way. Um, And so they wouldn't be a great fit for it. Or there's a lot of fantastic activists who do really fantastic activist projects um, that we are certainly aligned with and support, but maybe they don't have a connection to teaching or to writing. They use some other format. So our focus for the podcast itself um, helps us figure out what is what would who would be a potentially great guest for that. And then from there, we start to research a little bit more about those folks. So we look at what projects are they working on now? Um, have they produced, have they released anything recently that we could help promote? Um, since the podcast itself has a fairly long production schedule, we're always thinking about timing in that sense. So when will this episode be released? Is there a new project even going to be done by then? If so, great. If not, would they be better for a future episode? Those kinds of things. Um, so we do some research on guests. We find who would be a good guest. I email them and say, hey, I think your work is really awesome. I host this podcast. Would you be interested in um, in being a featured guest on an episode? Hopefully they say yes. And most people say yes. Not all, not everybody, but most people say yes. Um, and then uh, we start scheduling out when would the interview happen. Um, we do all of our interviews on on Skype and we record the audio that way. Um, we also look at when would the episode be released. And then there are six million steps in between that. So, um, And those are internal steps. The guest usually has absolutely no idea because they don't need to care about this background stuff. Um, and for other fellow process nerds like myself, I'm happy to talk through that if you're interested. We have a very elaborate Asana system, which is our project management system, um, all of that. So we do we do recording. Um, I write up interview questions um, that fit uh, the projects that they're currently working on or recent projects that they've been excited about. Um, and then after the interview, we start the post-production process. So that involves editing the episode. I do the editing for most of the episodes. Um, one of our team members, Christopher Persaud, is learning how to do audio editing. He currently writes all of our show notes, which is why they're so fantastic. Um, and he's also learning how to do the audio editing. So hopefully in the future, I'll be able to um, to share some of that that work with him. We edit the episode together. Um, we create promotional material. I'm the one that does all the, the graphic design and the visual design for that. Um, so we create social media images so people can share them with their networks. Um, we design the show notes on the website visually, as well as um, Chris writes all those. 
I go in and I edit all those. Um, we schedule out social media posts and promotional stuff. Um, I'm also in contact with the um, with the guests about when their episode will be released. And as you pointed out, I send them all of that promotional material so that they can use it in whatever way is useful for their for their networks. Yeah, great. Thank you for taking us through all of that. Um, I it, it's really interesting, kind of like being a part of the process and then looking at that all of that content kind of from the um, the side of like a recipient of promotional materials versus looking at it on the website and both of them are just so clear and pedagogical and in really different ways and so when I got those materials from you and then I was sharing the episode with other people I was thinking a lot about you know like this is so useful for use in the classroom this is so useful for um, sending to colleagues to explain this is the kind of thing that digital humanities work can be and, and that kind of thing. And so I wonder, have you gotten any feedback kind of about the pedagogical qualities of the podcast? Yeah, I mean, as it's probably the, the former professor in me, but I'm always thinking about that question of pedagogy, whether that's teaching a particular episode or somebody's work in a classroom, but also teaching it to whoever it is that you want to share an episode or somebody's fantastic work with, right? And so I'm always thinking about how to frame different projects or different ideas in a way that lets different groups of people and diverse groups of people access them. So for instance, an episode about um, our most recently, I don't know when this this episode is going to be released, but when we're recording this, our most recent episode um, featured Gayatri Gopinath, who's a queer uh, diaspora studies scholar, and she's talking about her new book about visual culture. And so folks would be interested in that episode who come from a visual culture or visual studies background. Folks would be interested um, who work in queer of color critique, since she's a very big name in that field, diaspora studies, um, people come podcasting in general. So people are going to come from a variety of different fields. And it's my job as, as maybe the designer to give them entry points into it. And so we do that in the way that we describe the episode. So what is it about? What topics does it address? Those kind of key takeaways. We have a large number of, bull, of uh, quotes, pull quotes from each episode, um, which also helps with promotion and social media sharing and all that kind of stuff as well as links, because um, a lot of folks have talked about teaching Imagine Otherwise podcast episodes, which I highly encourage um, in the classroom. And of course, students are going to come with questions and need to connect that episode to whatever it is that they're studying in whatever topic class that they're that they're enrolled in. And so we try to do, um, I hope we do a good job of um, including links to topics or ideas or people or projects or books that we discuss, because not everyone is going to be familiar with those. Um, but also some, some of them that you might already be familiar with, you can learn something through following following the, the link down the rabbit hole of the internet. Yeah, awesome. Do you have um, any other favorite podcasts that you listen to? Oh, I love podcasts, yes. Um, I'm a big fan of 99% Invisible which is about design um, and about kind of the hidden design that shapes our lives in ways we don't necessarily think of. Um, and I, I confess, I, I have studied that that podcast quite a bit and use it to shape um, how I approach Imagine Otherwise, for sure. Um, other ones, I'm a big fan of The Sporkful, which is about food. 
Um, it's an interview based podcast, but it's more conversational, um, which is kind of fun. And it, so it uses food kind of as a prism to get at broader political or social or cultural issues. That's super fun. The illusionist, cause I'm a word nerd. Um, and that's about words and their histories and their etymology and their, their movement over time and the weird ways that we have used language as a species. Um, let's see what other ones am I a big fan of? Civics 101 is really fun. Um, More Perfect, which is about the Supreme Court, because I have a, I don't know, lapsing interest um, or longtime interest, I guess, um, in constitutional history for some weird reason. Um, It has nothing to do with anything that I work on. But um, so that's about the Supreme Court, which is kind of fun. I'm trying to picture my my podcast app right now. Oh, I just got into what is not actually a new podcast, but is new to me. Alice Isn't Dead, which is a narrative storytelling podcast. So it's it's one single story over the course of, I think they're on season three, two or three, um, which is kind of creepy and haunting and fun. It's actually my go-to gym <laughs> podcast, which might seem weird, but <laughs> I enjoy it. I love that. Um, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts about sort of the genre of academic podcasts because very often my list is similar to yours and that most of them are um, kind of like things that are of interest and entertainment and then there's kind of this genre of um, podcasts about academic books or uh, kind of like various academic concepts that sort of blurs some of those lines a little bit. Um, And I've been just thinking a lot about the kind of work that podcasts do on the one hand, pedagogically, they're really useful for capturing these conversations that we have all the time and that sort of thing. Um, And then they also do important political work, I think. Um, And yours is definitely such a good example of that um, kind of like uh, helping, helping us have some hope in this political moment, I think is really important. Um, So I wonder if you have any thoughts about that, you know, what's important about academic podcast right now what are they doing what can they do that they're not currently doing yeah most people don't know that podcasting is much older than they have heard of it um so it originated in the early 2000s um, but it really has taken off exponentially in the past decade or so so that's usually when people think of podcasting emerging and, and it has in terms of its its public prominence, right? Its mainstream prominence. And academics have been involved since the very beginning to differing degrees and in different ways. Um, I think a lot of the academic podcasts these days um, are focused on books, as you said. So either reviewing, hosts either review books that they did not themselves write. So they're reviewing other people's scholarship that recently came out or that made a splash in some way or that they're interested in or they're interview-based. So they t- they interview authors of texts or new projects or things like that. And there are different reasons for interested in starting a podcast is figuring out the genre or the format that fits the questions you want to ask and the, the argument that you want to make in the exact same way that you structure a written text, right? You structure a text that let in a way that lets you make the point that you want to make. And not all structures let you get at the same kinds of questions. Not all methodologies let you get at the same kind of research questions. It's a similar kind of thing. So figuring out the genre that that best fits what you want to say. And I think some have done that better than others. Um, and certainly different academic podcasts 
because of their different areas of focus are interested in reaching different audiences. Most academic podcasts, I would say, not all, but most of them are really just marketed to academics and really just marketed to academics in that specific field, since so many of them are field specific. So you have really fantastic early American history podcasts, or you have really fantastic um, podcasts about a specific academic field that are really just designed for those academics, which is totally fine. And those can be really useful for that audience. When I was building um, Ideas on Fire and when I was building Imagine Otherwise, I was interested in something very different. I come from an interdisciplinary background. I come from women and gender studies and cultural studies. And these are academic fields that have historically always been embedded in political and social movements. So we're not adapting scholarship to real world concerns. We came out of them. And so that has been a really, that emphasis on politics and activism and creativity and forming relationships with people who are not scholars, people who are not academics, people outside the university, has been what we've always done. And we often don't realize how unusual that is until we come into contact with people from the disciplines. And so those of us coming from the interdisciplines are completely used to that and we need to claim it. And so when I was putting together Imagine Otherwise, what I really wanted to do was highlight both individuals, but also specific kinds of collaborations and projects that bridge those um, that bridge those spaces. And that's why not every academic, not even every fantastic academic, is a good fit to be a guest on our podcast. So we're really looking at projects and individuals whose work spans or brings together, or I like to say braids together, art or creativity with intellectual inquiry or, or academia and social justice activism. And that's not something I see a lot of academic podcasts doing, which is not to say they have to, but I think I was interested in doing something a little different. Yeah, that's a really helpful point too about interdisciplinary work and feminist work. And I have a similar uh, scholarly background and training background to you. I was, my PhD is in women's gender and sexuality studies, and I was kind of trained in this cultural studies mode. Um, the the uh, material practices that that brings then um, are really different than a kind of like traditional historical mode or literary theory mode. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with those disciplinary practices, but it, it really kind of, I feel like the sort of work that we do demands other material manifestations and, um, and kind of happens in the world outside of academia with the same level of theoretical rigor through other material forms too. So it's so interesting to have a podcast that's about bridging those things. Um, and we're kind of trying to do a similar thing with this podcast is locate the, those conversations that have been happening both within academia and kind of like at some of the blurred boundaries around it and say, okay, what are our methods and what are our key concepts and how are we working with all of these things? So it's, it's really exciting and fun to um, locate a kind of like field of practice around this too. And, um, and to say, you know, it's not just like people reinventing the wheel or doing this one novel thing. Like this is actually what feminist scholarship and cultural studies or media, critical media or any of those things can look like. So that's super awesome. 
Can you say a little bit about uh, the podcast people or like their podcasts who you hang out with? What are some to look out for and make sure to listen to? One of my my favorite podcasting communities is called She Podcasts, which is a women and non-binary um, podcasting community. They have a really robust Facebook community. Um, there's also a website. It's also a podcast itself. So you can search in your po- whatever podcast app you use for She Podcasts. Um, and they have really great, it's really supportive. It's really educational. Um, there's a, It's very much a space where you can ask, hey, I'm trying to do this thing. I don't know anything about it. Does anyone else? Or I'm looking into this new podcast hosting company that just popped up yesterday. Is anyone having an experience with them? Or I'm trying to figure out this weird audio thing that I'm having trouble with. Does anyone have any advice or have you run into something similar? And not all podcasting communities, because I'm part of several of them, not all of them encourage that kind of sharing skills and sharing of information. And the podcasting communities that women have formed, that queers have formed, that people of color have formed, those types of questions and that type of mutual support and mutual um, uh, kind of project boosting is definitely a part of them. And that is slightly different than some of the more mainstream podcasting communities. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting, and it reminds me of um, the kind of the emerging form of the feminist makerspace as also a place where like people can go and ask questions and not be expected to um, have like certain types of like technological expertise that are not widely available or to you know to like have a space that is not competitive around those kinds of things so it's really interesting to think about podcasting communities as kind of like a virtual form of uh, feminist makerspace too yeah cool um is there anything else you would like to talk about do you want me to talk a little bit about voice sure what do you mean by that there are a lot of conversations in podcasting communities and in radio communities, because there's a lot of overlap between those, about the sound of voices and whose voices should be heard politically, but also whose voices should be heard literally, and whose voices should be in your earphones, whose voices should be on the airwaves, whose voices matter. Um, and those of us who come from interdisciplinary activist-based fields, we're used to thinking of voice in terms of political participation and who is cons- whose lives and concerns are are considered to matter. But in the audio field, they're literally talking about voice, like what kinds of sounds go in your ears. And there's a lot of controversy about which kinds of voices are assumed to sound professional, which kinds of voices are assumed to sound soothing, which kinds of voices are assumed to sound grating, which kinds of voices are airworthy. And feminist podcasters have long pushed back against this, against kind of the, the assumptions that women's voices are not as pleasing to hear, women's voices are grating, all of those kinds of utterly stupid debates about vocal fry, all of those stupid debates about upspeak, where basically women are taught to speak differently because they're women. Um, people of color podcasters have, po- have pointed out that voice is heavily racialized, whose voice t- sounds professional, comes out of these histories of colonialism and racism. And so I think within the more kind of progressive um marge, for lack of a better word, marginalized uh, podcasting communities, we're having these really fantastic conversations. And we think all of that is utter bullshit. 
but the larger podcasting community, I think, doesn't have as much interest in challenging some of those things. Or if they do, it's from a very, like, you teach us about this thing rather than we could just go learn. That's really interesting. Um, and I did just listen to an episode of Code Switch that was kind of about yeah, a similar yeah. theme. No, they of, talk about that a lot. Yeah, like the um, there was someone who wanted to be can't remember if it was tv or radio but he was black and he was told that he had to get the midwestern accent and so they did all this historical research into you know where does that accent come from it comes from this one place in ohio where there was this linguist who said this is the standard american accent and um yeah and it's it's very it's so interesting to hear you say that in the podcasting community there are not critical conversations about this because there are at least not as many of them as I think a lot of us would like to to hear yeah because I think for the lay person like the the fantasy of the podcast is that anyone can make one and you don't have to be a big radio personality or you know whatever Um, I have a lot to say about that but (laughs) yeah totally and I I think like for me you know as someone who um just had an interest in the kind of like form of the podcast but no technical expertise and then I'm kind of learning as I go and we have people in the lab who are working on it also um, who do have more kind of official training like like there were all of these things that suddenly I had to think about that were what do I want my voice to sound like to other people and am I doing the upspeak thing Usually I would not care about that at all because I think that's sexist, but here's this new thing. So um, so it's been very much part of the design and production process of all of this too. And I, I kind of just as like a noise experiment or something, I just want to create podcasts where people do all the wrong things and somehow people still listen and that could are, be really fun you know, okay with it yeah yeah so that would be a fun thing to think about maybe it's an art project we could work on <laughs> together maybe get some like sound designers in there and like yeah yeah that'd be really cool yeah kevin could actually do a whole dj set with <gasps> yes yeah okay new project <laughs> yeah totally kevin you're listening to this right now so <laughs> I, I i hope you like this idea um yeah, I and that's such a good example, too, of the kind of the sort of thing that um, feminist media scholars talk about around kind of the presumed disembodiment of digital material. Mm-hmm. And yet it is so material and it is so it's all these habituated things that suddenly we're being called to unlearn about how we speak and how we sound to other people um, and also just norms around what a voice even is, you know, I've never heard a podcast where a non-speaking disabled person was using assistive technology to to voice, but that's a thing that people do in real life. So, you know, kind of, there are all of these actual material practices that could be brought in to unsettle the typical Absolutely. podcast form. And one of the, I mean, one of the big draws to, po- or one of the big ways that podcasting gets pitched by podcasters is the intimacy of voice. It's one of the reasons why this medium is interesting. It's what part of what makes the medium specific and different than film or TV or blogging or any of the other mediums that exist in the world. 
is the fact that somebody's voice is in your ear, right? Most people listen to podcasts with headphones of some sort, and they're usually moving their body through space in some form or another. And there's a whole host of research on how people listen to podcasts and where they listen to them and what they're doing while they're doing um, some of that's interesting, some of it's not, but it is about this kind of somebody's voice is in your ear. It's physically very close to you, even though obviously they're not physically close to you. And so there's something, there's something to pay attention to there. And a lot of that conversation in whiter, maler, more masculine focused podcasting spaces is about making that as smooth and seamless as possible. And then casting a voice that enables that kind of smoothness. And I know one of the things, one of the really smart things that you talked about in um, in your author meets critic session, and that is part of the, the Imagine Otherwise podcast episode that you did, was you talked about smoothness in terms of ideology and in terms of politics. So, so the desire for smoothness, for not rocking the boat, for making things easy is ideological. And you were particularly looking at activists who said, screw smoothness, right? Let's make things clash. Let's make things rough. Let's make, let's make us feel the texture of power. And voice is one way that you can do that. It's also a question of whose voice do you find soothing is not going to be whose voice I find soothing, right? Or who's somebody else's. So if white dudes are saying white dude voices make them feel good, that's totally fine. But that's not who makes me feel good. That's not what I find as a soothing voice. And what, and so kind of thinking about voice, both in terms of political representation, but also in terms of literal sound, has these kind of power dynamics and these ideologies, and could be, I think, talked about more interestingly and covered more interestingly than it currently is. Yeah, those are really great connections. Um, I hope we can keep talking about this going forward, too, because I feel like there are clearly some parallel conversations that are happening in the podcasting world with some of these other kind of activist design contexts. So it's especially the texture thing, I think, is really um, a, a productive place to kind of mine further. Um, is that something that in Imagine Otherwise you've played with kind of the, you know, the textures of the sounds or voice? Kind of in informally or lightly, I'd say not, I haven't, you know, created a specific episode. Um, but as I do most of the audio editing for the episodes, um, I do have to stitch people's words together. And so, and I also have to cut it down for length, for sure, to make it into a, a palatable size of an episode. And also think about how, how to make people's ideas, the, the things that they're saying about their projects or their books or their ideas or whatever, um, how to make them comprehensible to a listening audience who might not already know who this person is. They might not be familiar with their ideas. They might not be familiar with these concepts or this person's book or film or whatever it is. So those are certainly questions that I'm thinking about, particularly when it comes to editing, the literal audio editing of people's speech patterns. I don't edit heavily in the sense of I'm not changing anybody's speech patterns, but humans speak differently than we write. And those of us who are academics, we tend to write extremely well because we have to. We've learned how to do that. And so we tend to, most of us, 
write pretty smoothly, but we don't necessarily speak very smoothly. And different scholars have very different abilities to speak in a way that is coherent. And that's okay, because that's not our main, that's not academics main form of communication. But when you're on a podcast, it is. And so if this is the only thing that people know about you is how you're verbally presenting your ideas, it's my job as an audio editor to make those ideas sound as, as best as they can, right? To, to let your ideas shine so that audiences don't get tripped up on how many ums you say or how many gaps you have in your speech or those kinds of things. And that's political too, right? So I'm, it's this kind of, not really tension, but these two simultaneous goals of wanting to privilege and and honor people's actual speech patterns because that matters because people's bodies and the way that breath comes through those bodies matters but also cut it down to a podcast episode that's going to work as a podcast episode so those things are are always simultaneously happening i think some episodes do it better than others but those are political questions, and I don't want to shy away from the politics of them. Yeah, totally. Part of what I hear you saying is that um, there are certain user expectations, and you have to anticipate those. And then there are the kind of like production side uh, practices, and that they don't they don't necessarily have to match up completely because you are trying to to destabilize some of the dominant ideas in podcasting around whose voice matters and whose voice should be presented but at the same time there are these kinds of like accessibility concerns or um, concerns about legibility that are, that have to be addressed and certain I don't know if you would use the word standards but some some sort of threshold has to be met in order to produce something that then gives people an in that then leads to the broader body of work um, and i think that that's something that gets discussed a lot in critical design actually too is um, you know how 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 do you present critical ideas through a material form in a way that it doesn't totally alienate the audience and sometimes alienation is the point like the traditional critical design projects by people like Dunn and Raby were like, let's alienate the user and make them feel uncomfortable so that they think about who they are. And there's an element of this, I think, that's just maybe the feminist part that's just much more generous. You know, it's not, you don't have to be totally alienated. Yeah. It's less abrasive. Yeah. It's less, it's less confrontational, yeah. I think, is what you're pointing to, right? And confrontation can be really useful politically, intellectually, but it can't be your only mode of communication, right? Otherwise you have you have no one else to, to communicate with because you've alienated all of them. So it is that that tension or that that vacillation between wanting to call out what needs to be called out, wanting to call attention to the the bumpiness that needs to be highlighted, but also make it accessible, right? And make it accessible yeah. for different groups of I people. I think that's a great final takeaway point for us um, to, you know, make it critical, but make it accessible. Uh, well, thank you so much, Kathy. <laughs> this is a wonderful conversation and I learned a lot and it's given me a lot to think about kind of in my own design practice or on the podcast as well. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. You've been listening to Contra, a podcast about disability, design justice, and the life world. Contra is a production of the Critical Design Lab. 
Kevin Gotkin, Amy Hamrai, Cassandra Hartplay, Maggie Mang, Jara Mosh, and Leah Samples. Follow us on Twitter at CriticalDesignL and learn more about our projects at www.mapping-access.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. The Contra podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike International 3.0 license. That means you can remix, repost, or recycle any of the content as long as you aren't making money, you don't change the credits, and you share it under the same license.